are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, good morning. It's great to be able to come together and worship. Summertime is so crazy busy, and we have had lots of people from the church going and doing missions trips. We've had a group that just returned yesterday from Canada, and a group that just returned yesterday from Costa Rica. Any of you guys here? And we have a group still in Paraguay and a group coming home. I think today they're on their way from Swaziland in Africa. But I'm really glad that you and I get to be here together in the presence of God and open His Word. And I believe God's going to speak to us through His Word today. So this friend of mine forwarded me an article about Steve Jobs. And I kind of asked myself the question, why have we talked so much about him? And I think one of the reasons is... Because he talks so much about his own life in the last days of his life. Co-founder of Apple. When he passed away, his net worth was $10.2 billion. So for those of us who are not millionaires, and there's a couple of us in the room like that, um, we probably assume that if we had a few million dollars, that it would change our lives completely, and it would resolve a lot of problems, and it would bring a lot of joy to our lives. Interestingly, he didn't have a few million dollars. He had a few billion dollars. So to try to think of, you know, 50 million or 60 million or 100 million, we're talking a thousand million times 10. And so you don't have the real opportunity to spend that much money in your lifetime. You just, humanly, you couldn't do that. You couldn't consume 10 billion dollars worth of whatever, you know. And he says in the last days of his life, Outside my work, I have found little joy in life. And you're thinking if $10 billion doesn't bring you joy, then how much money would it take to bring you joy? And he says, in fact, everything I've taken pride in, all of my wealth and my accomplishments, he said they have become very meaningless in light of my impending death, knowing that I'm going to die shortly. And then he makes this list. He says, so what if you had... A $30 watch or a $300 watch. Both watches tell the same time, right? Or he said if you had a $30 wallet or a $300 wallet, when you open it up, it's got the same amount of money in it, right? Or if you drove a $150,000 car, or if you drove a $30,000 car, both cars are going to take you to the same destination. And then he says, whether you have a 300-square-foot house, or a 3,000 square foot house. Steve Jobs said, the loneliness is the same. It's telling, isn't it? And finally he concludes with these words. True inner happiness does not come from the material things of this world. And so I think if anybody maybe would have figured that out, I think maybe Steve Jobs would have figured that out. A guy with a net worth of $10 billion. True inner happiness does not come from the material things of this world. So some of you are kind of going, okay, I'm confused because I thought we were in a series about hurtful words, how words can be really hurtful. The words that we say to people and say about people can be very painful. But now it feels like you've started the sermon with a conversation about the fact that you can take all the money you can imagine and try to buy 
all this stuff to bring pleasure, but it really doesn't satisfy. And so you're, you're keen, you're with me, you're on point. Because what happens is James makes another shift. And with this shift, he basically takes us to this place of saying, why the hurtful words? Why do you fight with each other? Why do you quarrel with each other? I mean, he asked the question point blank. Why do you guys get into it? And why do you have rifts in your relationships? Why do you say things to and about people that you shouldn't say to and about people? What's behind the hurtful words? And so here's what he says. I'll tell you, in some instances, this is what it is. It's evil desire, which kind of like to me is like, hey, James, easy, buddy, okay? That sounds kind of harsh. Don't you agree? Your evil desire or my evil desire. He says, yeah, here's the deal. There's things that you've decided you want. And you want it so bad that you scheme. And then you see that somebody else maybe has that and you you consider even taking it from them. And you want certain things so bad in your life that you're willing to do whatever. And you hurt each other. And the reason you don't ask God is because, or the reason you ask the reason you don't have it is because you don't ask God, but when you do ask God, you don't get it because God knows that you're just wanting to spend it on your pleasure. You just want this because you want it. And God doesn't dispense pleasure because God knows what Stephen Jobs found out at 56 years of age before he died, and that is that pleasure is not a long-term fix for anything. It doesn't bring you deep-seated joy. And so here's what I think James is saying. And let me just put... My summary, okay? I think he's saying that when you're part of a community that is focused on pleasure, okay? A community that's focused on pleasure is going to be filled with conflict and hurtful words. If this is what you're aiming at, as as a community or as a household even, you're saying, you know, what I want is just what I want. Honestly, there's some things I've decided I want, okay? I want some stuff. There's some things that I want, and it might be status, or it might be power, or influence, or it might be material stuff. But when I get to this place that I want some stuff, okay, I really want some stuff bad, and I'm going to get this stuff. He says, when you live that way, your household, your community is going to be filled with conflict. And, and often, your community is filled with hurtful words. So, let me take you to the book of James. Would you open your Bible with me to chapter 4? Okay, chapter 4, I'm going to start with verse 1. Chapter 4, I'm going to start with verse 1. He started the conversation chapters ago where he said in this new kingdom that Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God, in this new kind of community that you can all be a part of, we're going to think differently about what we say to people and about people. In fact, he says everybody should be really quick to listen. And really slow to speak. And very slow to become angry. And and what James is talking about is a community that Jesus envisioned. Where that we talk to each other differently than the world talks to each other. And we talk about each other differently than the rest of the world talks about each other. And and so I I think you can dream with me just for a minute. About being a part of a community. A community like this, a community of faith that meets together weekly and, and, and many of you many times through the week. Where that we were so careful about what we said to people. And we were so careful about what we said about people. 
That as people became part of this community or kind of hung around the outskirts of our community or considered maybe becoming a part of this community, they would be overwhelmed. They would say, you know what? I've never met a group of people like that in my life. They don't talk bad about each other. And they're very careful with how they talk to each other. That's a community I want to be a part of. That's what James was envisioning that Jesus had talked about, this kingdom of God where words aren't hurtful anymore. So, after I preached a sermon beginning the series two weeks ago, a lady walked up to me and said to me, um, hey, i got to share something I read with you this week, this past week. And I said, okay. And she said, um, here's what I read. I've never heard anybody say, my big ear got me in trouble again. She said, I've never heard anybody say it. You know, never has anybody said, oh, man, I can't believe it. My big ear has gotten me in trouble. I listen too much. It's always my big mouth got me in trouble. And so this is the community that James begins to envision. What if, just dream with me about a place where my big mouth doesn't get me in trouble anymore. Okay? So here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1. So James says, what is causing these quarrels? And what is causing these fights among you? Why the hurtful words that are being spoken? What's going on in your relationships with people that you're having these hurtful words that's causing quarrels and fights among you? And then he says, don't you know they come from the evil desires at war within you? What do you mean? He says, well, you want what you don't have. So there's things that you desire. You want things. Maybe it's influence. Maybe it's status. Maybe it's material stuff. There's things that you've decided you want, and you really want it bad. So you scheme, and you kill to get it. Now, it doesn't literally mean you take someone's life. You are jealous of what others have. So already I'm realizing that I'm not speaking Greek this morning. We all understand what it is to realize, wow, I would really like to have certain things. And I look at other people who have these things. But you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. Okay, James, tell me about my motives. What's wrong with my motives? And he says, well, you want only what will give you pleasure. You're just wanting what you want because you want it. And more strong words, you adulterers. All through the Scripture, there's just been this comparison to our relationship with God. And it would be like entering into a covenant relationship, like a man and woman enter into a covenant relationship when they're married. And he says, you've been cheating on God. You've been unfaithful in your covenant relationship with God. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world... You make yourself an enemy of God. You can't, you can't have both. You're a friend of God or you're a friend of this world. You have to choose. You can't ride the fence. You're either with God or you're not with God. Do you think the Scripture has no meaning? Uh, like, what do you mean? Okay, he says, they say... That God is passionate, the Scriptures do. That the Spirit He has placed within us should be faithful to Him. So in other words, He's talking about faithfulness. I want you to be faithful to me. And He gives grace generously. 
As the scriptures say, again, quoting the scripture, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to, okay, key word, humble, okay? So, humble yourselves. So you come to God with the spirit of humility. God, I come under you. And, and I put in parentheses, submit yourself to God, because that's the language that I learned it from in another translation, and it's literally what it means in the Greek, to be subordinate, to submit to, to humbly come to God and say, okay, God, you're in charge, you're in control. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil is cowardice. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. None of this is really in a sequential order it you can't really say you do it this and then this and then this and then this. Wash your hands of sin, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Wow. Look at these words. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Can I remind you that James is writing to Christians who love Jesus so much that they would not renounce their faith in Him and were therefore forced to leave their homes and live as refugees. That's who he's writing to. The twelve tribes scattered. So these are Christian people. But I think what James is doing is reminding them and reminding us that this ongoing struggle to be tempted to give in to sin never goes away. It's always a part of your life. Let there be tears from what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and joy instead of gloom. I'm sorry, it's gloom instead of joy. Did I read that backwards? I'm on a lot of medication this morning, okay? <laughs> I've had something going for a week here, so. Last sentence, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. Amen. We have some awesome friends in our lives. And there's a, there's a, there's a handful of, of couples who, you know, when they come to our house, um, they, would never, they would never think it was odd just to walk in our front door and straight to our refrigerator and grab a bottle of water or a Coke or something. You know what I'm saying? And so um, my buddy was talking about it the other day. He said, yeah, it's like you have refrigerator rights, right? You know, you... You know somebody well enough that you can, you can walk in somebody's house and you just go to the refrigerator. Refrigerator rights. I like that. So we have friends like that in our lives. But like if, if we didn't know you very well, Annette and I, and we invited you over to our house and you came in and we said, hey, glad you came. We're going to get dinner going here in just a minute. And if like you walked straight to the refrigerator, opened the door, grabbed something to drink, shut the door, um, it would be okay, but it would be odd. To me, you know, I think when you left, Annette and I would say to each other, did you see how the guy just walked right up to the fridge and opened the door? Because we would say, you don't yet have refrigerator rights. We're not that close to friendship. But when we get closer, maybe one day you'll kind of get to that place, right? And I think it works the same if I came into your house for dinner. And it's the only time I've ever been to your home. And if I walked over to the fridge and just opened it and just kind of looked around opening drawers, moving things around, you know, just trying to see what was there, you'd be like, wow, he's in our fridge. That's weird, you know. <laughs> Nor do I think that you have this moment where you finally talk about it, right? I don't think you ever, like, sit down with friends and you say, hey, we just wanted to talk because 
wow, we really appreciate your friendship, and we've decided that we are going to give you refrigerator rights. I don't think you do that. And then the friends go, oh, what? wow, we're, thanks, you know. You don't, really, you don't really do that. I mean, it just kind of happens over time, you know. But I think when you get to that place, you realize these are really good friends. People who just walk in your house and open your fridge, these are close friends, right? And so what James is doing throughout the entire passage, okay, is he's talking about creating this deep level of friendship with God. But he also talks about the warning of being a friend of the world or a friend of the devil. And so he's saying the whole way through, you really need to draw closer to someone and you've got to get further away from somebody else. So you've got to get closer to God and you've got to get further away from Satan, the enemy, the devil. He's a bad dude. And you've got to get further away from the world. And what he means by that is that which is in opposition to God. Anything that is opposed to what God wants for you. So you get closer to God and you get a deeper friendship with Him, but you get further away from the world and from the devil. Whatever you do, you've got to get further away. And so for the person who says, Come on, Rick, I, I just... I just want to blend in a bit. I just want to fit, okay? I'm okay to go along with culture a bit. I'm okay. Is it that bad if I give in to some desires? And James says, no. It's not okay. And he calls us. How can you be married to God and have this ongoing love affair with the world? I mean, I mean, how can you be married to God and cheat on Him? You, you can't ride the fence in this one. This is not one of those deals where I'm, I'm kind of in and I'm kind of not. No, you're in or you're out. You've got to choose. And, and boy, as you move through this passage, he just really gets strong and says, Come on, you know, man up, make a choice. So Annette and I were in, uh, well, let me show you the scripture. I think, it's, I think it's strong. You adulterers, don't you realize that when you are a friend, that friendship with this world, it, it makes you an enemy of God. So Annette and I were out of town last week. We were in Cincinnati. And over Sunday, um, we got this decision to make, where are we going to church? And so we decided to go hear my friend Rob preach. So here's the story about Rob. Fun guy, funny guy, good at life, good at friendships, good with money, good with business. Um, crazy as all get out. You love to hang around him. When you leave his presence, you're just like, Rob's always fun, you know. So... Um, I was going to say he's like Timmy Riggs, but you might tell Timmy Riggs when he gets back home that I said that. So don't say that I said that about Timmy Riggs, okay? But he, but he has a little bit of Timmy's personality, if you know what I mean. A little bit of that, wouldn't you say? A little bit like Timmy. So, so Rob um, went on a missions trip with me to Peru. Or as my aunt used to call it, Peru. And, and it changed his life. And that's why I think you should go on missions trips. Not because it sounds like a fun vacation, 
or, or I'm not going because it doesn't sound like a fun vacation. I think it's sometimes in settings like that where God gets you still enough and away enough from everything else that you actually listen to Him. And I actually listen to Him. And, and I'm telling you, this one trip, it changed His life. He says to me, before we leave the country, I can't go back to life like it was. I don't know what God wants to do with me, but, but I just can't go back and do what I was doing. And so I realized that God was calling Rob to something, not knowing for sure what it was. And I remember when we got home, there was a great struggle within him. And it was about a year or two long, uh, more like two years long, where that I'm kind of saying, is Rob going to follow? Is Rob going to do what God's asking him to do? And I remember going to his house and sitting in his living room with his wife, Randy. And I remember that day when Rob and Randy said, you know what, we're going to do whatever it is that God wants us to do. I mean, we are going to do whatever God wants us to do. Whatever it costs us, wherever we have to go, whatever we have to do, whatever we have to become, we're going to do it. it. It's hard to let go. I mean, there's a lot of security in holding on to some of the controls, right? And they just, they just turned it all loose. God, you're, you're going to be in control. We're not going to do what we're, we're wanting to do. We're going to do what you want us to do. It's not about my will. It's about your will. It's about what you want, God. So here, here we go. The ride of our lives is about to begin. And so Rob eventually began to work on our staff as one of our pastors. And, and now he's pastoring this church that he started only two years ago. Downtown in Cincinnati, an old church building. But it's the coolest place you've ever been to in your life. The guy can make any building look incredible. And, and he's got a coffee shop that's open seven days a week in part of the church. And he's got a foster care agency in part of the church. And he's got a workout center in part of the church. And he's got people coming to conference rooms all week long. People are just pouring into this kind of renewing part of Cincinnati, Ohio. And they're just pouring into his church all through the week. And he's meeting them. And he's winning people to Jesus that that I think most of our churches aren't winning to Jesus. The kind of person most of us aren't winning. And it's amazing to be there. And, and I'm telling you what, I, I couldn't hold back the tears. My throat was tight the whole morning. And tears are in my eyes most of the time. And I'm just amazed at what God is doing through this guy. Because he came to this place in his life that he said, God, we're going to follow you no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. And it's awesome to see what God's doing in that church. You would want to go to that church if you lived there. And James says that's the solution to this whole mess that we find ourselves in, in community where we're saying hurtful things to each other. It's because that we have these things that we want. We're selfish, okay? We want our way, and so we hurt each other to get our way. And we say unkind things. And he says, you know what you got to do? You just got to submit to God. Submit everything to God. That's what you do. You just surrender everything to God. You just say, okay, God, it's all yours. And I wrote this down because I thought it could help us. It's not about holding on to everything I can, but about letting go of everything I can. And it's completely backwards to what we think would bring a great life. But it is what brings a great life. It's not holding on to everything I can. It's when I let go of everything I can let go of. 
And say, God, no longer am I holding on to what I want in my selfish desires. I'm just going to let go of it all. And I give my whole life over to you now. Submit to God. Resist the devil. See, it's possible to resist the devil. I'm going to say that again. It is possible to resist the devil. In fact, here's what he says. He says, submit to God and resist the devil. Okay? What if, Pastor Rick, I'm submitting to the devil and resisting God? Now, I'm going to, I'm going to read that seven more times. Not really, but I feel like I should. What if I'm submitting to the devil and I'm actually resisting God? What if I'm submitting to the devil and I'm resisting God? What if I've reversed it somehow? What if the devil is in my ear and I'm pushing against what God wants? This is the greatest temptation we face in all of life right here. This is where life is the most challenging right here. Because we know the devil is not going to leave you alone. If you've got a bunch of first century Christians, you know, who love Jesus so much that they won't denounce their faith and they have to become refugees and they're living in all these other places. And James has to write and say, but you've got to be careful, okay, because the devil, he's not going to let up on you guys. And you've got to make choices. So if that's where you are, he gives two directives. And the first directive that he gives is he says you've got to come close to God. And as you come close to God, God is going to come close to you, okay? So you've got to get further away from the devil, and you've got to get closer to God. You've got to get further away from the world, and you've got to get closer to God, okay? So directive number one, and we'll talk about the other one in a second. Uh, well, no, we'll talk about it now, I guess. Uh, wash your hands of sin, you sinners. Uh, purify your hearts. Let the tears... Um, let there be tears for what you've done. So he's saying, number one, get close to God. Number two, turn around and run from everything that is in opposition to what God wants for you. Repent in sorrow. God, I'm sorry. I've let stuff in my life I should not. I'm running from this stuff. So let's answer the question, how do you get closer to God? i got a few minutes, so we'll talk about it. So um, once in a while, somebody goes through a really tough time. And often when they do, uh, if they're part of our church, many times I get to have a conversation with those people because they're going through a tough time. So here's what they say to me. Pastor, I would have never desired to have cancer, okay? I would have never wished that. Or I would have never desired to go through a divorce. I never thought that could happen to me. Or I would never have desired this uh, other illness in my life or to see... Uh, this brokenness in my family or financial, you know, collapse or whatever it is. But, but that's where I'm at. That's where I'm living. But let me tell you something, Pastor, okay? Wow. I can't believe how close to God we have come because of this. Oh, I've never known God like I know God now. Never. 
Never knew that you could know God like I know God now. But boy, going through this really hard time, let me tell you, we got close to God. And so when I dig a little deeper into those conversations often, I, I'll, I'll talk to them about things. And, they, and they'll say things like, you know, we, we've always loved our church, but man, we love our church so much more now. We don't miss a Sunday. We feel like every time we go, God speaks directly to us. And I mean, the sermon just applies and the music's that's sung. I mean, we just, we're, we're blown away. We love church like we've never loved church. And I'll say to them, so do, do you pray more? Oh, pray. We didn't pray until we got in the situation. Now we pray every morning. I mean, we just call out. I mean, we have to pray. That's how we've made it through. What about God's Word? Are you reading? Oh, we're into the Word because we've got to have answers. I mean, we're searching the Scriptures like crazy. What about other Christians in your life? Yes, we have gotten this group of Christians around us who are investing in us. And, and just kind of the list goes on. You know where I'm going, don't you? This is the way you get close to God. We call them practices. You want to get close to God? How do I get close to God, Rick? Uh, church becomes a very high priority. My mind, my heart is there. My body is there. Prayer becomes really important. One-on-one -on -one time with God. We talk about that as a practice, right? Bible reading and prayer. All of a sudden, you know, but when I start spending time in God's Word and in prayer, you talk about getting closer to God. Small group life, when I begin to get other people around me investing in my walk with God, wow. You talk about growing in my faith, getting closer to God. That's the way you get closer to God. We talk about giving and serving and sharing your faith. And these people tell me, we're telling everybody we know what Jesus has done to get us through this. See? Well, I'm not surprised they're closer to God. But I've never met anybody who says, I don't go to church hardly at all. I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. I, I'm not in any kind of a group. I wouldn't do that. That's weird. I don't give anything to the church. I sure don't share my faith, and I don't serve anywhere. But I am so close to God, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, I, I never hear that. Never. Never. So he says, in no sequential order, I'm talking about Humbling yourself before God and surrendering yourself to Him. And resisting the devil. And drawing close to God. And just getting done with the sin business. Just say, you know what, this is not optional anymore. No, I'm not flirting with this. I'm not going there. This is what you do. So let me finish up, okay? Um, that word humility is big. It's, um, it's coming to this place in your life where you say, you know what, I, uh, I've been trying to do it my way, God. And, uh, and humbly, I have to admit, it hasn't worked out so well. What if I, what if I gave you my life? What if, what if I'd really let you take the controls and, and, and you, you guide me? Could you do something incredible with my life? It's not easy, is it? Letting go. Letting go of the controls, you know? 
Last week while we were in Cincinnati, Annette and I took our four-year-old granddaughter, Sadie, we were there for her birthday, to Coney Island, an amusement park that was established in like the 1920s in Cincinnati. Fortunately, they have updated the ride since 1920. But we spent the day with Sadie there. And we rode ride after ride after ride after ride, four and five and six times each. I mean, it was a blast. And so initially we would say, hey, Sadie, you want to ride that ride? And she looked up at me and she said, are you going to ride it with me, Ricky? And I said, well, Sadie, I'm too tall. I can't get on that ride. And she said, then I don't want to ride it. Let's ride that ride. I'm like, Sadie, that ride goes around a lot, you know. You're having trouble keeping your icy down at some point, you know. And so she's riding rides like a Ferris wheel for adults and scramblers, you know. Um, but she's not riding a little plane that, that just goes around in a little circle and raises up and down like this twice, you know. Letting go is hard. I mean, as long as she's got my hand, you know, she feels pretty secure. And she's kind of controlling her situation, but, but letting go, that's tough. And about halfway through the day, she says to me, and Annette, she says, I want to ride that ride. And we said, well, we can't get on that ride with you. And she says, I want to ride it anyway. And then she was good the rest of the day. But, but I understand, letting go, letting go is hard. I, I need some control. And to submit to God and to say, okay, God, my whole life is now just in your hands. It's what you want. When Rob and Randy Westerman let go in their living room that day, they had no idea where it was going to take them. They wouldn't go back for anything. Because it's not about hanging on to everything you can hang on to. It's letting go of everything you can let go of. That's where you find life. And so with that being said band's going to come up and you're going to say to me we get it we understand where james is going most of the problems in relationships that i have when i'm getting into struggles or you know tiffs with family or friends or people i work with it's usually because one of us is being pretty selfish because one of us really wants what we want we understand he's saying what causes all those hurtful words i get it it's because i want what i want and james says what if you quit wanting what you want What would your relationships look like with everybody else if you began to want what God wanted? You get it. It's good stuff, right? So God give us the grace to want what He wants. But that can only happen as He transforms our hearts. So why don't we stand together? We got to spend some time before we left first service this morning praying together. It was good. And so I wanted to do that again with you before we leave. Pray together. And so you can pray where you are. You can let the song become your prayer as we sing together. You can also come to the altar and pray. And you're welcome to do any of those options. So you can pray about the sermon. You can pray about letting go. You can pray about 
hurtful words. It's amazing to me in these last two weeks how God is speaking to me about how I talk to people and how I talk about people. It's causing me a lot of thought, a lot of prayer. It's good for me. And I hope it's doing the same for you. So if you want to pray about that, you can. I love, I love to get up on Sunday morning and say, hey, if you want to come to know Jesus today, you can do that. If you want to be born again today, you can do that. You can be forgiven of your sins today. You can be made into this new person by the power of God today. And so if you want to come and accept Jesus into your heart this morning, I invite you to come and do that. There will be pastors here to pray with you, okay? Or if you have a friend you want to pray for. Or if you're going through hard times like we talked about a moment ago, you can come and pray about anything. It's just completely up to you. It's just a good place, a good time of the day to pray. Okay. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.